Thank you, Jake and Joe. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Second Chronicles. In the Old Testament, Second Chronicles, chapter 29. Second Chronicles, chapter 29. Learn a little bit from some Old Testament history, some great truths here this morning that I think will be a help to us. Second Chronicles chapter 29, and let's go ahead and stand this morning. I'm going to read down through verse number, from verse 1 down to verse number 11. So if we stand, we'll read together this morning. I'll read the first verse, you read the second, so on and so forth. We'll read together down through this passage this morning. And uh, keep in mind that Hezekiah <clears throat> was one of the few good kings. I'll give you a little more information on that background, but he was one of the few good kings <clears throat> that Israel had. And I'll begin reading verse number one. Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and 20 years old, and he reigned nine and 20 years in Jerusalem. By the way, that was a, that's a long period of time for uh, one of the kings when you study the history out of the kings. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that, his fa that David, his father, had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken him, and have turned their away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs. Also they have shut up the doors of the porch, and put out the lamps, and have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel." Wherefore, the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister unto him and burn incense. One thing, it's not the primary focus of my message this morning, but one thing we see in this passage, and you see it repeatedly throughout the scriptures, is depending on how the people responded to God, that that was what determined how God treated the nation. You know, I believe God still deals with nations and nations that reject God, God rejects. And that's why it's so important in our nation that we come back to the scripture, back to biblical truth, put it into practice because it makes a difference in on how God is going to deal with this country. And where does that begin? That begins in each and every one of our own hearts and the way that we uh, what we do with the truth God has given us through his word. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. I pray now that you would meet with us. I pray that we would learn from this 
uh, story here in the Old Testament this morning, a very great truth that can help us, Lord, in our lives each and every day, and we'll thank you for it, for we ask in your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For years, under the reign of King Ahaz, the king who preceded Hezekiah, who was his father, the temple in Jerusalem had been closed. He actually closed it. And by the way, folks, when you start seeing the doors of the churches shuttered, you know the nation is headed in the wrong path. And by the way, one of the hallmarks of tyranny and of governments that uh, control and set themselves up as God is they close the churches. They did it in Russia uh, back when Stalin and Lenin uh, took over and you had that uh, communist uh, purge take over the land. They, They closed the churches. You see it in China today. Why is that? Because they cannot have, when a government sets itself and the people of government set themselves up as God, they cannot allow any competition. And we see here the doors had been shut under King Ahaz. There was no temple worship uh, back here in the Old Testament going on. Of course, in that time, up until the coming of Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the Uh, Jews were following after the Old Testament uh, tradition of temple worship as they were instructed. And we know that was done away uh, when Christ died on the cross. But uh, what had happened here, going back to this particular situation, uh, you go back a little further in the scriptures, you'll find out that they had established idol worship in every corner of Jerusalem. They weren't in the temple They were out there worshiping idols. And by the way, folks, people don't just worship nothing. They worship something. And when you close the doors of the church, people are going to go to other things and worship those things. And in our culture and in our day, and particularly here in in our country, those things may not be literal idols, but they will be things that replace that time that we used to spend hearing the preaching of God's Word. In our, our, our culture, in our day, really, the, the overall God of our society is materialism. All the stuff. That's why today, when Sunday used to be a day when all the stores were closed, now today... You find the stores are full and the church house is not very well attended compared to 50 years ago. It's been a big change. But so though we may not be worshiping gods and we need each one in our own lives as believers need to be very careful about falling prey uh, to the God, you could say, of materialism. But again, coming back to this story, when Ahaz died, his son Hezekiah Hezekiah assumed the throne, and Hezekiah, amazingly enough, immediately set about to reverse the damage that his father had done to the nation. And there's a point to be made here, and that is this, that it is possible to break the chain of sin, to break the chain of wrong habits, to break the chain of going in a wrong direction. Now, it's not an easy thing. It would have been much easier for Hezekiah just to continue down the path his father had started as far as what it took to get 
things back the way they should have been, but he broke the chain. And let me just say, it is possible in our nation, in our families, in our own lives to break the chain that is sending us in the wrong direction. You know, a lot of times we say, well, I just, I can't, you know, that, that's what we want to tell ourselves. We're talking about bad habits, talking about things that are sinful that we get, that a person gets involved in. It's very easy to come to the point and say, well, I can't help it. That's a lie. And by the way, God will hold us each one accountable when we stand before him. But the fact of the matter is, if we make the right steps and take the right actions, we can break the chain. That's exactly what Hezekiah did here. He said, hey, things are going to change around here. You know what? Sometimes in our own lives, we need to come to that place. We say, hey, you know what? Things are going to change with God's help. And I'm going to take the first step, whatever that is, to start getting things going in the right direction. That's exactly what happened here. Within days after he ascended to the throne, he opened the doors of the temple. He ordered the priests to sanctify themselves. He said, hey, listen, you guys need to start preparing your own selves to get back to doing what you're supposed to be doing. And he said, we've got to get the temple down. He said, we've got to get the filthiness out of the house of the Lord. Now, I don't know what that, I think, I think it was probably, there was some, to some degree, it was the uh, literal fill, and if the doors had been locked, you ever been in an abandoned house, but you know what happens? Dirt just collects, amen. He said, we got to go in here, we got to get this place cleaned up, we've got to fix it up, we got to take care of it, and by the way, I believe that the church house it, it ought to be a nice, clean place to come and worship the Lord. Amen. Amen. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's easy for stuff to collect. I've said over the years, you know, everybody says, you know what? I don't need this anymore. I think I'll take this to the church <laughs> and uh, leave, it, leave it there. And, uh, and I don't know about the folks ahead of us, but I know that congregation had grown very small. And what we found when we came here is that all the rooms were just stacked full of stuff, like vintage church stuff from the 1960s and the 1970s, amen? And, uh, and we had to do a lot of cleaning out. He said, first of all, we've got to clean out. But you know what the other thing in his case they had to do? I think probably they went in there and they found that there were old idols and there were things they had dragged in there, things that offended God and said, we've got to get those things out. And folks, we've got to be very careful about not bringing into the church house things from the world that offend God. Now, again, this building by itself is simply a building. But you know what? Because it's a building where we come to worship the Lord, and we ought to be very careful to make sure that our worship in all aspects is pleasing to the Lord. A place where the Lord can come and work in our hearts. So we had to get rid of the filthiness and then in their case they reinstated the temple worship now look back at second chronicles 29 verse 36 this is an interesting verse and hezekiah rejoiced and all the people that god had prepared the people notice this for the thing was done suddenly i preached a message years ago just on that verse 
the thing was done suddenly. You know, it doesn't take a long time, most of the time, to, to say, hey, I'm going to start doing right. You know what it is? It's a matter of the heart, as we're going to see. It's a matter of saying, look, I'm going to change things. You know, a person has a bad habit, and uh, maybe a bad habit is cursing. You say, well, boy, I've just got to work at that. I'll tell you what, why not just clean it up? Amen. Amen. Why not just say, hey, I'm not going to do that. Maybe institute a few things. You know, if you say a bad word and you shouldn't, you know, get one of those little bars of soap that they make and uh, make yourself eat that every time. You'll, you'll clean up your mouth real quick. You know, sometimes we're just not really serious. Sometimes we say, well, that, you know, here, here's what we all, well, that's just the way I am. You know what? You know what my wife's told me? Change the way you are. Amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's time to change that way you are. That is not, that is an excuse. That is not a reason for why we don't change. It's simply an excuse. The thing was done suddenly. Boy, I'm telling you what, sometimes we think, well, if I'm going to do this, it's going to take a long time for me to get victory over this. I'll tell you what, with God's help, things can get done suddenly. The next thing they do here is they're going to observe the Passover, which was the celebration, uh, which at this point had been 700 years since they had come out of Egypt. But when they came out of Egypt and they God killed the firstborn, and they put the blood on the doorpost. The Israelites did, so that the death angel would pass over them, hence the word Passover. So the next thing he's going to do is institute the observance of the Passover, which, again, they were not doing. Not only were they not doing the temple worship, this annual celebration, they were not involved in. Look at 2 Chronicles verse, or chapter 30, verse 1. We didn't read this passage here in Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. So again, the Passover was a, 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 an annual observance, but it too had fallen by the wayside. And so Hezekiah says, hey, we've got to get back to observing the Passover. And he was so excited that he even invited the northern kingdom of Israel to come to Jerusalem for the occasion. Now, a little history here. For over 250 years, those two kingdoms had been split. The northern kingdom, after Solomon died, and the kingdom was split under his son Rehoboam, and then Jeroboam uh, took the uh, northern and southern kingdoms. They were split into those two kingdoms, and... So they, and they had not always been friendly over those years, many times even to the point of being enemies. But Hezekiah was so excited, he invited some from Ephraim and Manasseh. That's the northern kingdom. He said, hey, come down here to Jerusalem, observe the Passover with us. It hasn't been done for years. We want you to come, even though you're not necessarily our friends. And by the way, you know what? When you get right with the Lord, you know what? You begin to restore relationships right. with other people. Now, as we'll see, not all those other people responded in a positive way. But he reached out to the northern kingdom, very unique here in the Old Testament. 
And, uh, but look, let's look what happened. Second Chronicles 30, verse number 10, skip down to verse number 10. So the post talking about those who were spreading this invitation passed from city to city through all the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun. Those were all Northern kingdom tribes, but look what happened. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. That leads me to another point this morning. When you decide to break the chain and do right, the ungodly, including possibly some of your old friends, are going to laugh and mock you. Young people, you say, well, if I did what I know, if I, if I acted the way I know I should act at school, there would be some who would laugh at me. They would mock me. Well, you know what? You won't be the first one. You know what? Sometimes family members are not going to be excited about you making the right choices. You know, it seems like that uh, anymore family reunions start now at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. I can say this in the wintertime because I don't think anybody's going to a family reunion right now. Amen. But uh, family reunions like, hey, come to the family reunion. What time are you starting? 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. You say, wait a minute. You know, there's two options there. You say, Pastor, I can't be there. We got the family reunion. Or you could say, you know what? Say to the family, say, hey, you know what? I, I'm, I'm planning on coming. We'll be there. We can get there by 1 o'clock. If it's within driving distance, we can get there by 1 o'clock. We'll be a little late. We'll bring extra food to make up for it. Amen. But we can't be there. Why? Because we have to be in church Amen. on Sunday. That's our time to be in church. You know what? That might just be a testament. Now, someone say, well, I can't believe that they would do that. It's it's okay. And by the way, when my parents got saved, in many respects, some of the other family, I'm talking about my aunts and uncles and others, they really didn't have, uh, some of them later on came around, but others at the time, you know what? We didn't go to the parties. Now, they were on the other side of the state, but I just remember we didn't have a lot of, they, they weren't too keen on our Christian faith. But you know what? My father said, hey, church comes first. We'll do all these other things as we are able, and we did many of them, but he maintained his Christian testimony. But I'm just saying, sometimes when you do right, not everybody is going to be thrilled with it. Not everybody at work is going to be happy that you don't celebrate some of the things they're celebrating out in the world today. But you know what? We have an obligation, folks. Listen, we have an obligation first and foremost to our Savior. Calling Ramon. Amen. Ramon's on call. When you decide to break the chain and do right, you may have to pay somewhat of a price, as was the case here in Second Chronicles. Look at verse number 11. Nevertheless, now notice what else happened. Nevertheless, divers or many of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. You know what? Just as there are always those who are just going to say, I don't want anything to do with it, there's always going to be some who say, you know what? That's what I need to do. And though many laughed and mocked, others came. 
Others said, hey, these are, again, from the northern kingdom. Hey, we're going to go down there. And I'm sure there were some of their friends said, what? You're going down the southern kingdom. We haven't been friends with them. We don't have anything to do with them. You're going down to Jerusalem. Uh, we don't even believe that's necessarily the, the, the first place we should be worshiping. And so, but they said, hey, we are going anyway. We're going to do the right thing. There's always a remnant. There's always those who want to do right. Never allow yourself to believe the lie that I'm the last one that wants to do right. So what difference does it make? You know what the truth is? When you do right, it actually influences somebody else who may want to do right as well. You understand, if Hezekiah hadn't gotten right, and Hezekiah hadn't opened the temple, and Hezekiah hadn't pushed against the flow, these folks who came to observe the Passover would have never come to observe the Passover. Because he did right, he influenced others for right. Let me ask you this question this morning. Are you, as a believer, influencing others to do right? Or is your life really, to them, no different than everybody else? Hezekiah's testimony and his actions motivated others to do right. Now let's pay attention to this particular Passover. Look down to verse number 15. Then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. Notice that. Uh, the second month. We'll come back to that in a minute. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, a man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood, which they received of the hand of the Levites. And there were many in the congregation, notice this, that were not sanctified. Therefore, the Levites had the charge of killing of the Passovers for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them, them unto the Lord. For a multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. Notice that. Here's the situation. These folks heard about it and they said, hey, let's get down there. But if you followed the Old Testament law to the letter, there was a procedure you were to go through to be sanctified, to be cleansed. If you hadn't been right with the Lord, you were supposed to go through this drawn out procedure. I'm thankful we don't live under those Old Testament law. Amen. I'm thankful we didn't have to go out and think this morning before we came to church. Now, what sins did I commit this week? And I got to bring a, I got to go and get a, a lamb and to bring today. And I got to stand in line to sacrifice it and confess to God my sins. I'm glad we don't have to go through all that. But that, they were living in the Old Testament. That was a stipulation. There was this process they were to go through before they could partake in the Passover. And these folks had not gone through it. They were keeping the Passover, but they weren't keeping it according to the letter of the law. And though Matt, that may not seem like a big thing to us today, that was a huge thing back in the Old Testament. I mean, there were periods in the Old Testament, if you didn't keep the letter of the law, you would be taken out and stoned. That's why it's such a blessing to live under, again, to live under grace and not under the law. Talking about the Old Testament law. Now, Normally, those violations would have caused God's anger and judgment. Here they are. They're not, by the way, they, they're not observing it. They're observing it on the wrong day. I mentioned it said they're keeping on the second month. The 
uh, Passover was to always be observed on the 14th day of the first month. So there was a time issue. They weren't observing at the right time. They weren't cleansed. They weren't prepared. Their hearts had not been, uh, or they hadn't gone through the outward uh, things that they were supposed to do to sanctify themselves. And again, normally that would have caused God's anger, would have caused God's judgment. But look at what happened in the last phrase of verse number 18 says, but Hezekiah prayed for them saying, the good Lord pardon everyone. Notice this next verse 19 that prepareth his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary, and the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So Hezekiah prays. He says, God, look, I know they're not, I know they're not all here, and they haven't done in in and have having done everything they should have done to be ready for this day, to be ready to sacrifice. They haven't gone through all the different rituals. He said, But Lord, pardon them. And the Bible says God healed them. But notice why he did that. Verse 19, that first phrase, that prepareth his heart to seek God. Though they had not gone through all the outward things they were supposed to go through and all the different parts of preparation, they had been preparing their hearts. They had set about to get right with God. They were doing, God was doing, and they were doing a work in their hearts. You know what that tells me? Their outward actions may not have all lined up yet, but their hearts were in the right place. You ever had somebody, you know, they do something and you're like, I don't know why they did that. But you know what? At least their heart was in the right place. Other times, people do the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. You ever been there where, well, we're going to do what's right here, but it's not because of what I want to do. But these people, they were there, and maybe it had been so long, maybe they hadn't been taught right, maybe they didn't know everything they were supposed to do. They just came, they were enthusiastic, they were excited, we're going to observe the Passover, and they omitted some of the key uh, things that they were supposed to do as part of the Passover. But Hezekiah said, look, Lord, please forgive them. Their heart is in the right place. And the Bible says that God pardoned them. The most important work they had to do wasn't outward things. It was a preparation of the heart. And folks, can I tell you something? What we ought to be working on more even than just crossing every T and dotting every I, making sure that when we're around other Christians that we look the part, act the part, talk the part, and those things are all great. They're all good. We all ought to, we all ought to pursue those things. Certainly not a, ought to act like the world, live like the world, look like the world. But you know what God's more interested in? The heart. The heart. I've said for years, if you think of the Christian life as climbing a ladder, and the higher up you climb, the closer to the Lord you get, the more technically spiritual you are as God counts spirituality the stronger you are as a believer but here's the point I don't think God is as interested in how high up the ladder we are as he is in what direction we are going 
You take somebody who's been saved for one decade, two decades, three, four, five decades, they may have all kinds of Bible knowledge and folks like that are sitting here today and they say, yeah, I've read about Hezekiah before. I've seen, you know, seen this before and uh, I've read Second Chronicles and they're like, you know, this is, this is not news to me, but you know what? I don't think God's impressed with our knowledge. He's impressed with the direction we are going with the knowledge we have. Boy, I like it when a, somebody gets saved, you get a new believer, and I'm telling you what, they are excited, and they're sharing Christ with everybody they, uh, with everybody they know, and they may not look the part of the Christian yet. They may not be uh, doing everything a Christian should be doing. They still may have some habits that are not what we would call Christian habits, but you know what? Their heart's right. Don't sit in judgment of that person. Don't sit around and say, well, they don't know anything. Well, I'll tell you what, if what you do know hasn't changed your heart, and if your heart isn't regularly being prepared for the Lord, then you know what? I think they're ahead of where the other person is. Over the years, uh, Riley Paint Company has painted our buses uh, free of charge. They've painted six of them now over the years. We only have two, but they come and they go. Amen. And fortunately, we're back down to two. We got rid of one of the other old ones here recently. It took us a long time to get it sold, but we got it sold. And so that one's gone. So now we're just down to the two, uh, two replacements. But they painted both of these. And each time, but each time, the agreement was that we do all the preparation and they put it in the booth and paint it. So what's that mean? That means we have to sand it. That means we have to remove the reflective tape. Anybody ever see a school bus at night in your headlights? You'll notice that school buses now have like 5,000 feet of reflective tape on them. Well, did you know you can't paint reflective tape? So if you're going to change the car, and by the way, in Iowa, you cannot own and operate. You can own one, I suppose. You cannot operate a yellow school bus as a church that's illegal it has to be painted so you can't just buy them and use them you've got to paint them so in order to paint them we remove all that reflective tape which is really really good 3m tape and takes a lot of work to get that tape off you have to remove the tape you have to remove the lights remove the other hardware the mirrors all the things on the outside that you don't want painted you got to do all that sand it Clean it all up on the outside. If there's any body work, dings, whatever you want to cover up, you got to do that body work first. Then we have to, then you wash it because you got to get all the dust off it. Then we take it out there. Then you start to tape it. I don't know if you ever noticed this. There are windows on school buses. Now, we could put it in there and paint the windows, but uh, it wouldn't, wouldn't work very well for the people riding inside. And so you got to tape off all that glass, very time consuming. And then when you get done with that, you got to wipe it down. Now it's in their booth. Now you got to wipe it down with paint thinner again to get off the last of the dust. We figure the preparation right now for a bus is in the neighborhood of 150 hours of work, of preparation. If you count every 
man hour that's put into it. Then what do they do? They put it in. In the matter of a few hours, they paint first a primer and then a top coat, paint the whole bus one color, but we don't want them just one color. We want them two. So then we have to go back in and retape it, cover up everything now that we don't want the first color and leave just exposed what you want the second color. And you've got to sand the first coat again to get a little scratch on it so that it will, so that this second color will stick. So there's more time there. And then they run it through and paint it again. By the way, they're painting it by hand. But I've not watched them paint those buses. I've not seen that. We leave it, and we come back. And they've got it done. And then when you're done, you have to take it and put it all back together. But the point is this. Before they did what they agreed to do, we had to prepare. You know, suppose I went out there and talked to Mr. Jennison and said, hey, I'll tell you what, we, we got another bus. You paint it? Sure, we'll paint it. I say, okay, we're just going to drive it up here. By the way, be sure to put the windows up before you paint <laughs> and walk away. You know what? They would say, hey, we, we can't paint that bus. Why not? It's not prepared. Folks, you know what? We say, Lord, I want you to do this for me, and I need this, and I need some help here, and boy, we got some bills we can't pay, and we got some, we've got some illness we need healed, and we need strength here, and we got uh, a job situation, and we got a family situation, and we got a marriage situation, and we got a child situation. Lord, we need help. Here we are. Fix us. You said you would fix us. Folks, what about the preparation of the heart? What about the walking with the Lord? What about doing? Folks, you know what? We can't change hearts. And by the way, I'm not so sure we can change our own hearts. God can do that. But you know what we have to do to get our hearts changed? We have to prepare our hearts. These folks came. They weren't doing everything they were supposed to do, but you know what they had done? They had prepared their hearts in their heart. They said, look, we want to do right. God, forgive us for the idol worship. We're going to get rid of these idols. We're going to throw them away on the way down to Jerusalem. We're going to destroy all our idols. Folks, I don't think, I don't think if they'd have kept all their idols, you know, in their backpacks as they went into the temple and said, hey, we got them hidden. They're in here. As soon as we get out of here, we're going to go back and we're going to go down and bow down to them. Lord, do a work while we're here. Folks, you know what? Coming to church, as important as that is, that by itself isn't all there is to the Christian life. That by itself does not enable God to do a work in our hearts. You know what? As we come to church and as we go through the week on a regular basis, you know what we need to be doing? We need to be preparing our hearts. You remember what it was like. Some of you are going through it right now. You've got a test at school. And the teacher tells you three weeks ahead there's going to be a test. You need to be ready. And two weeks before, a teacher says there's going to be a test. You need to be ready. Start preparing. Read the lesson. Read the books. 
I don't know, maybe they don't do it this way in school anymore. That's the way it was when I was in school, amen. You're like, okay, okay, I'll, you know, I'm going to get to that. I need to get to that. I need to study. And then it was a week. Oh, boy, it's getting close. And then it's the morning of. And all of a sudden, what do you, what they, I don't know what they call it anymore, but I know we used to call it, start cramming. <laughs> you wake up, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't get ready for that. And you know what? You don't do so well on those tests. You know why? You weren't prepared. You didn't get prepared. Folks, preparation is an ongoing work in our hearts. The changing of our desires for the wrong things, the changing of our bad habits, the changing of our thoughts, all to desires and habits and thoughts that bring honor and glory to God. That's not something we can do ourselves. It's a work that God must do. But before he will do it, we must prepare ourselves. God forgave the discrepancies in Israel's observance of the Passover. There were some things that weren't everything they should have been. But why did he do that? Because when he looked at their hearts, he could see their hearts were right. And in the same way, when God looks for believers today in whose lives he will work, you know what he's looking for, I believe, first and foremost? Believers who are preparing their hearts. What's that look like? Well, I think for one, it looks like a believer who is in the Bible more than just on Sunday. It's a believer who is getting up in the morning saying, you know what, I need to set aside some time first thing in the morning not to scan Facebook, amen, not to catch up on everything else, but I need to be sure to spend some time with the Lord. Folks, did you know, I don't know, I've lived long enough, to know that I do not know what is coming in the day. I've left my time where I meet with the Lord many times and said, Lord, by your goodness and grace, bring me back to this place tomorrow in one piece. <laughs> if I, you know, however things go, just so I could still come back here tomorrow and meet with you again. Folks, we don't know. God knows. But you know what? If we want God's protection and we want God's blessing and we want God to be taking care of us, we need to be preparing our hearts. Look, I'll tell you, I understand. On the way to the hospital following the ambulance, I understand that's a, that's a place where you really can focus on preparing your heart. Amen. When your loved one's in that ambulance, boy, Lord, please, please. And the Lord says, boy, I haven't heard from you for a while. When the doctor comes in and says, here's the diagnosis, and all of a sudden, boy, God, you've got my attention now. You know what's better than that? Regularly. Now, you'll still have that same, Lord, I need your help. But you know what? You won't be a strange voice to the Lord when you've been preparing your heart. You won't be someone who the Lord says, you know, I haven't seen you for a while. Maybe I should do this more often <laughs> so I have more fellowship with you. I've said this many times. You go out there to the county jail. There's a room there where I meet with folks from time to time who uh, end up in the jail. And you know what? You go in that room, and I'm telling you what, that is a room where people can get right with God. Like, no, I, I wish I could, we, if we could all go out there today, it seems like you walk in that room, everybody just wants to do the right thing. 
I mean, they are sorry. They're repentant. They're like, man, I got, I, I've got to change. I know I'm going to change. I'm not going to do this anymore. Boy, they're, they're ready to pray. They're ready to listen. I don't know what it is about that room out there at the jail, but it is a, that is a spiritual place. <laughs> That's right. That may be the most spiritual place in the county, amen. But I'm telling you what, another thing I've learned, that nine times out of ten, and that's probably being very, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Generous. (laughs) Very generous. When they come out, you know what? It's all forgotten. I'm out (laughs) until next time, Lord. And unfortunately, a lot of times, there is a next time. But the point is this, folks. Preparing our hearts ought to be something that's being done on a regular basis. That's why it's so important to be in church every time the doors are open and every time, unless your work schedule absolutely doesn't allow it, every time possible. Why? Because we need to be preparing, getting, keeping things in order. Why? So that God can say, you know what? They're not doing everything they ought to be doing, but bless God, they're trying to get things in right order. They've got this over here that they still need to work on and this over here, this issue, but you know what? I'm going to hear their prayers. I'm going to answer their prayers because they have a sincere desire in their heart to do the right thing. Folks, you know the thing about God in the heart is we cannot fool God. Now, we can come in here this morning and we can fool each other. And we can come in here and we can look the part of a Christian who is seeking after God. But you know what? God knows my heart. He knows your heart. And God knows how serious I am and he knows how serious you are. Say, well, pastor, you're a pastor. You must be serious. Can I tell you this? You pray for me, I'll pray for you. Amen. But I'll tell you this, there, just because you walk up on this, po- on this platform does not make you spiritual. And I'll tell you this, a pastor, it's wrong, but a pastor can put on a show just as much as anybody else. God help all of us, amen. To be sincerely seeking after God. Teenagers, you can put on a show when you come home. You come home. How was school? It was great. It was good. Did you do? Yep. You know, everything's good. But the minute you walk in the doors of the school, you go to that wrong crowd that's going the wrong direction that you know if your parents knew you were running with that crowd, you'd be in big trouble. But they're not there. They don't know it. They don't see it. And you just come home and act like everything's good. All the way up until you climb out the window at night and go to the party that you knew you weren't supposed to go to. And by the way, you start living like that, you are setting yourself up for tragedy. You say, Pastor, I would never do that. You know what I've learned in life? Never say I would never do anything. Because I'll tell you what, you start going down the wrong path, you start running with the wrong crowd, you start walking away from the Lord. And we're all capable of doing things that we said we would have never done. God help us. See, well, how do you avoid that? Keep, make it a matter of your efforts to continuously be preparing your heart to seek after God. 
every day through your own personal Bible study and reading, through your own personal prayer, through staying faithful to the preaching of the Word of God, through staying around the right friends and the right influences. I could go on. But the point I think you've got is that God works in the hearts of those who are sincerely in their hearts pursuing after him. And by the way, if you're here this morning, I finished with this thought. You're here this morning, say, Pastor, you know what? I, don't, I haven't been saved that long. I really don't know that much about the Bible. I feel like I'm so inferior to everybody else. I'll tell you what. Don't worry about that. Say, you know what? I just need to make sure I'm seeking after the Lord and I am in good. You know, it's not a matter of how you measure up to this one and to that one with head knowledge and Bible knowledge and, and all those things. What matters is you in your heart saying, Lord, you show me, you prepare me. I'll prepare to meet you. You do the work in my heart. And I'll tell you what, that's where your focus needs to be. Too many times we compare ourselves to others, and the Bible says that's not wise. And when it comes to comparing ourselves on the level we're talking about today, we, don't, we cannot even be accurate about it. You know why? Because we don't know each other's hearts. But God in heaven does. Are you preparing your heart to seek the Lord? Let's have heads bowed.